Thank you, choir, instrumentalists. My dad went in the hospital again on Friday. He rallied yesterday, so he's doing well. Thank you for those of you who have prayed for him and asked about him. Janet's doing well. She had a successful surgery, and so she's going to be in a period of recovery. But we're grateful. Thank you for all your prayers. Our family's had a little more activity than we normally do in the hospital. I uh, got to remember to get my iPad, Andrew. It's laying here in front of you. Oh, were you going to play games with it? And I, you can get the Bible on it. When people open their iPads and stuff here in the church, they're always looking for the scriptures. So I know that's what you're doing. Uh, it, it dawned on me just this week that uh, I have a brother named Joseph who got some pretty serious uh, uh, persecution from his older brothers. There were five of us who were just stair-step all in a row, five brothers, and then there was a sister that we all uh, prayed for and asked God for, and finally it was a girl. And then the next one was a guy, and his name was Joseph. And then mother didn't have any children for a long time, like five more years. So he was a baby for a long time. And I remember we persecuted Joseph, just like his older brothers did in the Bible. And in fact, one day, uh, the older brothers grabbed Joseph and we actually tied him arms and legs to the dining room table. And uh, then we fled and let mom unleash him. So it was uh, was an interesting time for Joseph growing up. He's turned out to be a fine man, by the way. And uh, the persecution didn't appear to hurt him too much. I guess it built his character. We're all hoping it did. Um, And... Okay, I've got no connection available up here. So, what does that mean? It means you guys are going to advance the slide this morning, okay? So, that'll be okay. Well, I'm in chapter 39 of the book of Genesis. I want you to flip on over there. We're going through now the life of Joseph. We are sitting down with Joseph. And we're going to see a very clear turn in the story of Joseph this morning. In fact, it's a very clear turn in the whole story of the patriarchs and in the book of Genesis. Because now we are ending up in Egypt. And for the rest of the book of Genesis, basically the family events unfold focused in Egypt. And eventually all the family will be there in Egypt by the end of the book of Genesis. And they will stay there for 400 years. So this is the sojourn in Egypt, the years of in Egypt they are beginning. And in chapter 39, we have a story about young Joseph that I want to call your attention to. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and I'm going to read a good bit of the text of Genesis 39. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, there's one in front of you there in the pew. You can follow along, or you can read it on the screen. Verse 1 of chapter 39 of Genesis says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph 
found favor in the eyes, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go with bed, to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you bought, brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And we're going to see what happens to Joseph in prison in coming weeks. Reuben cannot say no to Bilhah. Judah cannot say no to the prostitute. David cannot say no to Bathsheba. Solomon can't say no to any woman. Somebody asked me, why is there so much about adultery and sexual sin in the Bible? I think the answer is because there's so much of it. I want to talk to you this morning about your character, not your opinions. Not the opinions you hold, but the convictions 
that hold you. And I want you to notice the unfolding character of this young man, Joseph, who when we first meet him, seems so full of himself. But now, after probably some years of experience and hard times and moral development, he's a stellar example of a human being. And I want you to note this in the story, okay? I just read a good bit of the book Outliers, which is on the bestseller list. And in Outliers, the author defends the notion that nobody is self-made, that everybody has help. even talks about Bill Gates and famous people that we know. And he identifies in the life of Bill Gates the opportunity that he had as a 17-year-old, as a teenager, to get hands-on with one of the great computers in the world. And the author says there were probably five people in the world at the time Bill Gates had the doors open to him who had unlimited opportunity to work on those computers that we now consider so ancient. He said opportunities come and people take advantage of them. But nobody's really a self-made man. There are different circumstances and situations that help us all. When we talk about Joseph, we respect and admire the man, but I want to say this. All success is grace and works. All right? All success is a combination of the two. And Outliers gives that perspective of how all successful humans on the planet have had help from others, and it is true. And someone might say, well, it's also true that folks have to work, and sometimes people are born in the same context and have the same opportunities, and one of them takes advantage and the other does not. That's true, too. For instance, in the life of Joseph, we are now told that the Lord is with Joseph. In the previous uh, experience we, we discussed, Joseph is hated by his brothers and he has these two dreams, but he doesn't know really where they're from. The only one who has a clue about it is his father, Jacob, who is thinking about these things that Joseph said. But now the scripture says the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph's not in the land of promise anymore, but the Lord is with him. Some of you have been displaced, and you're wondering if God is with you in New Orleans. And you're thinking, I wish I was back where things were more familiar, in my hometown where I knew the ropes and the people and understood how things worked. Well, the Lord is with Joseph, though he is in a strange land. And he is with you too. Joseph embraces his new environs and begins to seek to demonstrate character and goodwill in his new environs. I want you to do that too. 
God's calling you to do that. My father told us from the time I was a little bitty. He said, it's not where you live. It's how you live that counts. How you living in this new place God's put you? The scripture says the Lord was with Joseph, though he was in a strange place. The Lord was with Joseph, though his family was not. He's all by himself. When I went to the big city for the first time in my ministry, James Landis, who was the executive director of Baptist work in Texas, called me. And he told me, he said, David, people do strange things when they get to the big city. Just keep that in mind. I'd been in the little country churches all my life where family members looked over your shoulder and the families all worshiped together. And I'd noticed that sometimes when people leave, leave that comfortable place where all their friends are gathered and their family is around them, and they get to the big city, they start acting out. In fact, while I was in the big city for the first time, I had a deacon in my church who came to me one day and said, I have gotten in a terrible mess, and I've got to tell you about it. And it was true. Maybe you're without your family watching over you for the first time in your life. Like Joseph, you have left home and here you are in this strange place in the big city. The Lord is with you, sister. The Lord is with you, brother. This is good news. One of the reasons we must teach our children to submit to the Lordship of Christ is because if we just teach them to do what we tell them, one day we're going to be gone. We won't be able to have an opportunity to influence their life anymore. But when they arrive at that place where there's no family around and mom and dad are gone, the Lord is still with them. And if they've learned to submit to the Lordship of Christ, then they're okay in a strange land. Where the family's gone. That's what we're preparing our children for, parents, is that solo flight that everybody makes. But the Lord is with them. The Lord is with Joseph, even though he had a rough start, even though he was hated by his brothers given that coat of many colors, fell into disapproval, not only from his brothers, but even his father rebuked him. Even though it seems he was so full of himself when he was young, the Lord is with him now. The Lord can be with you after the failures of your life. Don't give up on yourself because you've had a bad time. Or you've made bad decisions or bad choices. Joseph did that. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on God. The Lord was with Joseph. Here in this era of his life when he was out of his element. And his family was gone. And he had a rough past. Just like the Lord is with you. 
When the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, it's talking about grace. Some of us feel like we don't deserve the Lord's favor. And that's true about us. We really don't deserve. We don't deserve his salvation either. But the Lord is with us anyway. Amen. God loves you and there's not anything you can do about it. You know, he loves you. He loves you passionately. He's got his eyes on you. He knows your name. You're his creation. He sent his son to die for you in the cross so you can be part of his family permanently forever. That's grace. All success is partly grace. It's partly standing in the grace of God. And all success is partly work. It's real evident as you read through chapter 39 of Genesis that the author is saying to us, this Joseph, to whom we were introduced just a little bit ago in very difficult circumstances, this Joseph turns out to be an exemplary human being. And God is with him and blesses everything that he does. It turns out that he is a man of integrity, that he is hardworking, that he is honest, and his master trusts him. And he starts out as a slave in this home, doing the little things, I'm sure, that the new slaves do. The menial tasks, but he does them so well, so perfectly. He's entrusted with these little things, and he does them so well that his master lifts him, promotes him, until finally Joseph is in charge of the whole house. It's amazing. The book of Proverbs is a whole bunch of pithy sayings about how if you develop courage and honesty and generosity and hard work, and self-control, that these qualities of life will return back to you. If you are disciplined enough to plant in the springtime, in the fall, you will harvest. It matters the kind of person you are and the kind of person you are becoming. We cheer for a lot of things in our culture. Being beautiful, we put the beautiful on pedestals. Being wealthy, we put the wealthy on pedestals. Being a genius, we put that also up there in the stratosphere. You know, if you're smart, if you're rich, if you're good looking, if you're a great athlete, we put you up. We're not so good at exalting inner character, at applauding people who live in an exemplary way, who make wise decisions, who demonstrate goodness, kindness, and compassion. We ought to do that more. We ought to inculcate it better in our children. These qualities of character, they are the things that sustain you. They make a huge difference in your life, in the quality of your life, and how things turn out. All success is both grace and works and all temptation is in and out 
we come to the passage about this woman. And she is called Potiphar's wife. No other name is given to her. Sort of like Lot's wife who turned to a pillar of salt. We never learn her name either. Now, Potiphar's wife has no name. In part because in every generation and every life and every life experience, you can pretty well fill in the gap. You probably know her name already if you live long enough on the planet. The temptress who seeks to seduce you. The book of Proverbs devotes a full chapter and more to the description of this person who is in every generation and every life experience. I know her name in my own experience. Potiphar's wife, fill in the gap and listen up Not thinking about what used to be, but thinking about your future. Maybe you're not married. Think about your future, all right? Maybe you're recently married. Think about the years ahead. Potiphar's wife, she never goes away, all right? Now, Potiphar's wife has an inner brokenness that startles us. We see her asking Joseph, get in bed with me. And we think, wow, this woman is brazen. And then day after day, she makes the same invitation and demand, getting louder and louder, I suppose, as as Joseph takes more and more pains to get out of her circle. And finally, she traps him. This woman is broken on the inside. There's something about her that is pitiful and insidious. And everything about her stands in contrast to Joseph. Now, Joseph could fall at this point. He could succumb to the temptation. But there are things going on inside of him that are, that are very important. To his protection, all right? All temptation is partly internal. It's partly you, fellas, wanting to prove your manhood, feeding your ego. Part of the temptation is what goes on in your mind as you toy with the ideas of unfaithfulness and sexual sin. Part of it is internal in the minimizing of the sin. Were you surprised to hear Joseph say, how could I do this thing that is so wicked and go against God? Do you still think about adultery and sexual sin as wicked and against God? You know, in a culture that's full 
of sexual sin and, and the heroes are paraded in front of us, we begin to minimize it in our minds. We think, hey, you know, that's not really anything too bad. It's not, you know, everybody's kind of getting uh, into that. And that just happens. You want to take out a forty-four caliber and shoot your marriage in the head? <laughs> you want to wound somebody so deep that they can't breathe from the crush they've got on their chest and their heart? Have you ever heard a young wife wail so loud that it pierced your ears? From the knife her husband stuck in her heart. Have you ever seen the kids cry and wonder what happened in their home? What happened to mommy and daddy? Ever watch them lose their way? Start wondering what's up and down, what's right and wrong, what happened to our family? We're talking now about sin. And it's in the Ten Commandments. Because it belongs there for the evil and destruction that it deals to families and people and individuals and children and spouses. Yes, and parents and everybody in the circle. Part of the temptation is internal. You start telling yourself, it's not hurting anybody but me. That's a lie. Part of it is the erosion of your own relationship to God and starting to focus on other things besides the God who made you and called you to himself. Slipping away from the Lordship of Christ to other things. See, Joseph is focused on the God he wants to please. And he is not going to do this because he doesn't want to sin against God. You know, after David sinned with Bathsheba, he wrote a long confession. It is Psalm 51. It'd be great for you to read it. When you have a chance, Psalm 51. Now, David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He has orchestrated the murder of her husband. And when he gets in the place of prayer, you know what he says? Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Oh God, it's you. It's you I have violated. The center of my life and heart. Something internal happens that allows the temptation to grow. You start thinking, hey, this could be an opportunity. You start thinking, uh, Everything's mine in the world, but this one thing, you know. Hey, does the devil ever point out the one thing you can't have? He wouldn't do that, would he? 
I mean, you got a whole garden full of fruit. But there's one tree that God says, no, you can't eat it. And it's in even Adam's mind every day. It's like, you know, we can't eat anymore because we can't have that. Life's flattened out. It's unfair. It's unjust. There's nothing in the world to satisfy us because God said no to this one thing. Joseph could have done that. He had the whole household. Everything's yours, Potiphar said, except my wife. See, the one thing you can't have can eat you from the inside out. Let, let me just say this. Temptation's not passive, okay? Temptation is both internal, but it is also external. Temptation is aggressive. The scripture says the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he wants to devour you. You need to be warned, okay? Especially if you're committing your life to Christ and seeking to follow him, you need to perk up your ears and listen, he's after you. He aims high. The more position you get, the more authority you have, the more visible you are in, co- in the community, the more likely he is to set you as his primary target. There's got to be a grace given to you, men and women, as you succeed in the world, to remain faithful to the Lord who has lifted you up and faithful to the truths that you've learned as a believer. Sometimes it's not failure that ruins us. It's success. It's success that drags us down. How many times have you seen it and wondered, that man had everything. And look what he did. What was he thinking? Well, it's that one thing that you can't have that can eat you from the inside out. Temptation is aggressive in your life. There is a personal force of evil in the world that wants to overtake you. You. Not your friend, not the preacher. Not your spouse. You, okay? You must protect your mind and your heart from the evil that seeks to devour you. Temptation is internal and external. And victory, all victory, is both yes and no. You know, we we had the kids learning years ago, just say no. Remember? Just say no to drugs. Just say no. Well, I'm of the opinion that you got to say yes to something, all right? That nature abhors a vacuum and just saying no may not be enough. You need to say yes to something. And the victory that you're going to achieve in your life against the personal force of evil that seeks to devour you is saying yes 
saying yes to positive virtues that protect you. They protected Joseph. Joseph is protected by saying yes to gratitude. He's going to be a grateful person. Bitter people, ungrateful people, are more vulnerable to the force of evil in their lives. They feel like the world owes them something. It's taken something from them. They've been treated unjustly. When we focus on our pain, we want to deal it out to others. You say, well, I don't know. If you were in my shoes, I don't know if you'd be grateful. Well, what about Joseph's shoes? He's been sold into slavery. But Joseph is a man connected to God who knows God has given him everything and God is with him. And he lives with a grateful heart. We have not yet appreciated how destructive the ungrateful spirit is to everything God's trying to do in us. We've got to root it out. Thanksgiving is coming up. I love Thanksgiving. It is the most Christian holiday that we have. All its roots are pure, <laughs> you know. You look at other holidays and think, hey, there's some pagan things in that, but not in Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's a great reminder that even though you've come through a hard winter and half the people you knew and loved died, You've had a generous, bountiful harvest. And God has provided. That's where Thanksgiving began. After a difficult winter. Would you start it up in your life? Would you crank it up? Would you start saying, Lord, give me a grateful spirit? Joseph is protected by humility. So many of us get so full of ourselves. And we begin to get promoted and in our own minds, we get larger and larger. We don't need to have low self-esteem where we don't think of ourselves of having any good in us or any character or any worth. We don't need to be there. And we don't need to be up here thinking that we're the end-all, be-all, the superhuman. We don't need to be there. The Bible thinks we need to think of ourselves, says we ought to think of ourselves soberly. In appropriate ways. Getting full of yourself. Getting proud of yourself. Getting arrogant. Thinking you don't need anybody. You can do it all yourself. Is dangerous ground to be on. Joseph is protected by humility. He's protected by self-control. All victory is partly saying yes to the positive virtues the Holy Spirit seeking to develop in your life. And all victory is partly refusal. It's partly saying no. Joseph says, no, I will not offend God. I refuse. How can I do this thing and sin against God? No, I will not do it. Joseph says, no, I refuse to violate my conscience. I know it's in the Ten Commandments. I know it's the clear teaching of Scripture. I'm not going there. He says, yes to gratitude, yes to humility, yes to self-control. He says, 
No to offending God. No to offending his conscience. And there's a key here. He says no to staying in the environment of temptation. He runs away. He runs from this woman, literally. I wonder if Paul later on isn't thinking of Joseph when he says to the young people, flee youthful lusts. I wonder if he isn't thinking about Joseph running away. You know you're playing with fire. You know it's not right, the scenes you're playing out in your mind. You know it's weakening your resolve. So why are you staying there? Get out of that mental, spiritual, emotional place where you know you are so vulnerable and get in a place where you can stand strong. Brothers and sisters, I want you to run to win. I want to see you young people developing as as followers of Jesus who are passionate about changing your world. I want to see your dreams come true, loving people and loving God and carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. I want to see these things happen in you. I want to see success develop in your plans and dreams for your future. It all caves in if you lose it in here. If you forget to whom you belong. Who made you who you are. Who saved you by his grace. It all caves in. So I'm encouraging you today. To follow the Christ who calls you. Be faithful to him. Know that he is with you in the strange place you find yourself. Even when you feel alone, the Lord is with you. Let that be the touchstone of your decision making, your relationships, and your resolve. And as you say yes to the good and no to the bad, God builds you up on the inside and gives you strength for the day. Don't you love a God like this who cares for us, watches over us, protects us, and calls us unto himself? Let's bow together. As we bow in this place, there may be somebody in this room who needs to pray, Oh, Lord, forgive me. I told you that the Lord is with you even after you fail. So it may be that you need to say, Lord, forgive me. I have been weak and I have failed and I have sinned and I forgot how offensive this is to you. There may be somebody who is in a context right now that you know is dangerous to your life and your family and your marriage and you need to pray, oh God, be with me and give me strength and wisdom. Help me protect what you love, what you gave me, and hold what is good and true. Be faithful to my Lord in the middle of this thing. There may be young people here who 
will have a wonderful future laid out for you by the Spirit of God and great dreams. But they are at risk in some of the things you imagine to do. Lord, we pray. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to convict. Thank you for forgiveness. We rejoice in that today. I pray your grace will pour into this room like a mighty flood. And God, that you will cleanse and wash away the sin, the rebellion. And God, renew our hearts, Lord. Created us a clean heart like David prayed. Renew a right spirit within us, God, even today. I pray for the brother who is most at risk, who faces great temptation every day. God, that you will build a hedge of protection about him in his mind, in his heart. Help him to hold to the things that are true. I pray for the ladies who are vulnerable to the tempter's wiles. God, that you will protect them as well. God, that you will help us be holy as you are holy. Lord, do your work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name.